I got closer to it, I could tell that the car was burning. The fire got pretty big. He saw the horrific scene near I-80 and McPherson Avenue in Council Bluffs. And the flames were coming up over the seat, the back, the back of the front seat. Council Bluffs police say the car was stopped in the middle of the interstate when a truck hit it. The car hit the barricade and caught fire. A lot of people were driving by. I didn't see a whole lot of brake lights, which kind of touches my heart that, you know, we live in a society where when you see a car burning in the media and you don't stop. Wood did stop. I could hear the girl screaming and nobody was getting near the car and it was just a reaction of I'm not going to stand here and and listen to somebody burn up in a car. So I just went for it. He says he pulled the driver to safety first. Got her about 20 feet away from the car and she was talking to me. I couldn't understand what she was saying, um, but she kept pointing at the car. That's when he realized there was someone else in the car, so he rescued that person too. My hands are a little red. The right side of my face is, is a little tender. He's just happy he was there to help, but he insists. I don't want the hero title. I'm just a a simple man that was headed to work and chose to stop and help somebody. Quinesia Fraser, KETV, Newswatch 7. First of all, that guy's first name is Runk, which is really something. That's a cool name. Um, you know, we love a good hero story, and to hear about a guy like that um, is pretty amazing. You know, when you hear about someone that does the hard thing that no one else wants to do. Um, he was literally watching people drive by a burning car and he chose to do what other people would not. And when you ask someone like that, or do you feel like a hero, like she asked him there, of course he can't say, yeah, I am kind of a big deal. You know, I'm, pre I'm, pre <laughs> I'm pretty awesome. No, he has to, you know, you have, he said, no, I don't, I'm not a hero. And for some reason, they always look up and to the left. No, I don't feel like a hero. And you hear an eagle cry in the distance, a tear. No. You remember that night in 2009, that airline pilot named Sully Sullenberger? What an amazing story. This guy is a, flying his, I forgot what airline it was, and they get a bird strike in both engines of this of plane, and he had to land the plane in the Hudson River. Um, just an incredible story just to keep the airspeed up, keep the wings up, and to get into the water. And, of course, he was later, a, a, there's a movie about him made by Tom Hanks. And, you know, I remember I saw the, uh, the news story after it was over, and the TV anchor guy, there's shown a, a shot of the plane in the water, there's people standing on the wings, there's the big yellow slide coming off the, the plane. And the anchor says, I can't imagine a better ending to this story. I remember thinking, I can. I can think of a better ending. Landing the plane on a tarmac would have been better. I'm sure Sullenberger would have agreed. Um, but for the rest of his life, Sullenberger was probably been asked, do you feel like a hero? And he has to say, no, no, I'm no hero. Up to the left, eagle, tear, you know. But he has, you know, because you're humble. You know, true heroes are humble like that. You can't, you can't say anything otherwise, otherwise you're not a hero. And here's you to be humble, and like that guy in the video, you have to, there's a humility to it, a selflessness to being willing to do that. You know, we're going to look at Moses today in Exodus 17. And Moses was certainly a hero to the Jewish people. Maybe the ultimate 
hero aside from Abraham. I mean, think about Moses' life. He's an orphan that's put into a basket. An Egyptian princess finds him, takes him into her home in the courts of Pharaoh, and he becomes an orphan in a different land, sort of like Superman in a way. And he would grow to be well-educated, rich, powerful, almost second in command of all the Egyptian empire, secretly a Jew. And then one day he sees one of his Jewish countrymen who are slaves by the the Egyptians being beaten. Um, And then Moses, in a rage, kills the Egyptian. And then Moses runs into hiding um, out into the desert for years and years. And so, but Moses would come back, of course, to face down the great Pharaoh and would become an advocate for all the thousands of Jewish slaves. And then he would lead his people who were in slavery into freedom. So Moses didn't just pull two people from a burning car. He helped pull thousands of men, women, and children out of slavery, out of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, and into freedom. I mean, Moses repeatedly did the hard thing that no one else wanted to do. But God knew he could trust Moses. Now, even though Moses was a hero to the Jewish people, they can turn on their heroes too, can't they? And Moses gets turned on in this story. But God is faithful. Exodus 17. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us? Or not. So in Exodus 17, God has led Moses and therefore the nation of Israel to a waterless site. And a great argument ensues, of course, as you can imagine. Although God has been leading them by a pillar of fire at night, He's been giving them quail to eat, He's even been giving them every morning something called manna. Now, I've said this before, but if you don't know what manna means in Hebrew, this is true. Manna means, what is this? So they would wake up out of their tent every morning and see this stuff on the ground and say, manna, what is this? This white sort of looks sort of bread-like substance. Um, So even though God's providing in all these miraculous ways, the faith of the people was still weak and selfish. And it was so intense, their anger toward Moses. Moses thinks he's about to be killed. He's like, God help me, they're going to kill me because they don't have water. So what does Moses do? In verse 4 it says, he cries out to the Lord. There's no formal sort of prayer life in this moment. It doesn't say, you know, Moses 
You know, so I beseech thee, O Lord, to deliver me from their hand. No, it's like, like desperate cries. That's a great kind of prayer, isn't it? Like that, it's right from the heart. God, it's, he cries out to the Lord. Help me, help me do something. And Moses is trusting God in those moments. He's humbling himself before God. And so he does what great leaders do. They turn to God and they trust in God, whereas the people don't and they turn on their leader instead. You know, godly people advocate for others in prayer. Moses is leading in the way that you would hope he would go, that you would hope the other people would follow. Essentially, good leaders go to the place first that they want everyone else to go to to follow them. A good leader has to go there first, has to lead by example. And that's what Moses is doing. His prayer here is not an isolated event either. You can see throughout um, Exodus and Numbers, in Exodus 15, 25, 32, and Numbers 11, there's a lot of stories of Moses as a praying man. This was not an isolated event. He's, it seems like God has always put Moses in a place where he had to trust God. Because anything, it, every, in his own ability, it would have failed failed. You know, spectacularly. And that's how it's felt about my life in many ways. God has always put me in positions where I have to trust him because it means that he's leading, right? And you might be in a season of your life where you feel like, yeah, I'm in a dry place and I feel like God has forgotten me or I don't have an answer. But be encouraged that God sometimes puts us in places where you have to trust him because your ability, if you're coming to a place where your ability is falling short, that's a perfect opportunity for God's ability to shine. When our strength is not enough, therefore God can step in and do the miraculous. You know, God has brought the Israelites thus far and they haven't, they, he has not abandoned them. It's the same with you and I. He has brought us thus far and he has not abandoned us. You might feel like you're in a place where you don't have any more resources and that might be true. Maybe there's a physical illness or a, or, or a problem with a relationship or something like that that you feel like you can't get over the hump. It doesn't mean that you're alone. It means that God is putting you in a place where you need to trust him all the more for his provision, for him to do the miraculous. And so Moses prays to God and God answers. He, what does he say? Take some elders with you. So take some leaders with you. So there's accountability, there's witnesses strengthen a multitude of counselors, and take the staff with you. I always think of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments when I think of the staff. <laughs> take that staff with you, the same staff that parted the waters, take it with you. And Moses is probably thinking, what in the world am I going to do with a stick? A stick's not going to break a, a rock? What, am I going to drill down? Am I going to start pounding a hole in the ground for water? We're literally in the middle of a desert. Show the picture of Mount Horeb that I put in there. That does not look like a lush landscape, does it? But he's saying, take the staff with you, the same one that parted the waters. I'm going to use it to create water. Okay, Moses knew this mountain really well. Because do you know what the other name for Mount Horeb is? Mount Sinai. The mountain of God. Before this event, 
This is where Moses ran to after he killed the Egyptian. And he lived in hiding for decades. And it was there that he kept the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. It was in this place that Moses one night, he caught sight of a bush that was on fire, but not burning up. And as he came closer to that place, the spirit of the Lord says, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And he does that, and God speaks to him through the flames, calls him by his name, and says, Moses, go to Pharaoh, and I will deliver my people out of slavery. And just a few short chapters after this, in Exodus 19, Moses will go back to this mountain, and he will ascend to the top of it, and the, the, the glory of God will encompass the top of that mountain, which we call, like, some translations say, like, like the Shekinah glory, just that manifest presence of God. I'm sure it was full of lightning and thunder, as the scripture describes. And Moses would ascend into that place, and he would come out of that mountain carrying the Ten Commandments. So this mountain would become very, very important, of course, to Moses in this story. But then, so he says, go to the rock and hit it with this staff. And there's something really important that God says to Moses. He says, I will be standing there in front of you. He's essentially saying to Moses, I will already be there. I will be waiting for you there. And I will do the thing that you think is impossible. So God gives the instruction, but Moses has to obey. You can't help but see parallels of this story when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. And they're drawing water, and he says to her, you know, anyone that comes to me and drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. And she says, sir, give me some of that water. That's amazing. How do I get that water? He says, if you believe in me, I will produce living water from within that flows in a perpetual stream. He's talking about spiritual thirst, of course, not physical. And you see this parallel that our God is a God who meets every desire of the human soul. Do you believe that? I know you do. He meets the totality of your deepest spiritual need. That only the God of Israel can do that. He is the God. He is the only God. One God. He is the only God that can meet every possible spiritual need of your life. So although he's saying to Moses, come here, strike the rock, water will come out, the people will drink physically and be fine, but what the deeper need we have as human beings is living water from within. And I know someone here today is in a thirsty place. We live in a world that's spiritually dry, where people in their soul know they need refreshment from God. We need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. But So God gives the instruction to Moses, and he goes. God would bring the miracle. But he's waiting on Moses, right? He's waiting on Moses to go to that rock and do something. Could God have split the stone on his own? Of course. Of course he could. He could make water come out of the ground if he wanted to at any time. But Moses had to act, didn't he? He had to step out in faith. And he just does it. God wants our participation in the miracles. Many, many times. See, many times people think of God as like, as like a magician that waves a wand and does all these things. And of course, God can do that. But many, many times you see this in the Bible. 
God always wants our involvement. The miracle must be preceded by an action of somebody. Like, for example, before Jesus turned the water into wine, we know that story, somebody had to go fill up those cisterns with water, right? And thinking, this guy's crazy. Why are we filling these up with water? It's a huge waste of time. We already did. Of course, but you had to step in faith. Someone had to offer loaves and fishes before they could be multiplied to feed 5,000 people. Somebody had to lower their paralyzed friend through the ceiling of a hut to get in front of Jesus so that he could have his sins forgiven and his body healed. But someone had to do that first. There had to be action and, and trust and faith in action before the miracle would come. Essentially, without God, you cannot. But without you, God will not. The question is not God's ability. It is our trust in his ability. Now Moses could have, what what if Moses had heard that from God and said, no, I'm good. That's crazy, God. I'm not going to go hit a rock with a a stick. It's not going to do anything. What if he had done that? Well, a lot of people would have died. Maybe. But thankfully, through that little, that move of faith on Moses' part, this great miracle comes through that trust. I don't know if I've ever shared this before, but I think sometimes it's good to share testimony because our stories are irrefutable, really. Um, I grew up in church. Uh, My parents were awesome about that, about making sure we were in church every Sunday. Even if I sat there and played hangman and tic-tac-toe, I was there in church. And went to youth group, all those sorts of things, enjoyed it, but never knew, never was invited to have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't even know what that meant or how to have it. I had a lot of head knowledge about God, but I never encountered him before. I just hadn't. And I went to work for a ministry called Carolina Cross Connection, a home repair ministry that I went to as a teenager, and then I got a job to work at the summer of 1999. Long story short, we're sitting around a campfire at the end of a staff training time, and no one's like giving an altar call or preaching or anything like that. It's just, I'm just sitting there, and I felt a nudge of the Holy Spirit. He came to me, and he said, you need to let me in. I heard as clear as a bell. And I remember sitting there and going, okay, yes. And this is just my story. Now everybody has these accounts, but I felt a peace flood my life that I never felt before. Just this supernatural sense of God's presence overwhelmed me. And I tell that story because he didn't barge in, did he? There's a gentleness to who God is. There's a sweetness and a kindness, of course, to God, who God is. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus said, I stand at the door of the heart and I knock. And if you will open the door to me, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. There's an element of choice involved, of a willingness, of an openness to stand and open that door. But for many of us, we can live in a, in a, um, in a self-imposed prison. And we refuse to open that door. But the grace of God can help us do that. See, without God, you cannot, but without you, God will not. You could be in a place right now where you feel like there is no water, and there's not hope of any water, and I'm going to die. 
but God's promise to you is, trust me, and I'll do the impossible in your life. Maybe you're in a desert, but the Lord is with you. Like Moses, God it could be asking you to trust him, to take a step of faith toward him, not away from him, even if it doesn't make logical sense. Because many times the thing God's, that God does feel counterintuitive, but it doesn't mean they're wrong. Actually, it means they're right. Because our intuition is not, should not be the standard of all things. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. So as we sing this song, last song, I'm going to be up front for what we're, we're calling ministry time, where we just create a space to pray, to be with you, to, for God to be with us, for God to do what God wants to do. And to pray together because love is communicated through other human beings. As much as I love my phone, you cannot encounter the love of God solely through a, t- a device. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I mean, you can get inspired, don't get me wrong. But love and prayer are, are mostly communicated through human beings. You need to receive prayer from another person. We do need each other. But one way we experience spiritual breakthroughs in our lives is through obedience and being vulnerable and being willing to do that, to step forward into God's presence and to receive living water for whatever it is that we're going through. So again, we're, we're, we're gonna be up here for prayer if you need it. We'd love to do that, lay hands on you. If you have a physical ailment, we'd love to pray for you, an emotional thing. A, a family situation, whatever, we would love to, to do that. And I've got some friends that will come join me on either side of the stage here. So uh, let's pray. God, indeed, we do wait here for you, that you are the one with the answers of what we are deeply need. Jesus, that you are the desire of our hearts, that the journey begins and ends with you. You are the only one with the words of life. Where else can we go, God? It's only in the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Spirit of God, continue to do your work in this place and let us hear you, feel you, encounter you in new ways that help us walk away from this time knowing we heard from you, Lord. I know there's some people here that have been abused, who have been trampled on, who have such trauma from their past and they can't overcome it. Someone has an addiction that's like a hook in their brain and they can't shake it. Friend, God alone can deliver you. Jesus alone can forgive sin. This is the proclamation of the church that Jesus is Lord and that he can redeem you and set you free. No one else can do it, and only Jesus is capable to do the impossible 